welcome back to another episode of Straight Up. We are here, me and Kathleen, to bring you Hello. some of the finest cultural picks across yep. books, TV, podcasts, and film yep. for you to sink your teeth in. Some good, some bad. We're going to have a bit of healthy debate over here. And we're going to be talking about the hottest film of the month, Where the Crawdads Sing, the hottest book of the month, Sorry You Feel That Way, and the hottest TV Netflix. episode of the month. <laughs> docu-series Netflix you can tell I'm not on not I'm on. leading that one guys you're leading that one what's it called How to Change Your Mind Netflix series all about psychedelics not to be confused docu-series. with docu-series How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days not to be confused <laughs> about to lose a guy in 10 days that's what just came to mind love a bit of Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson though Can't is he lie. in that yes that's like one of the most iconic films of all time that is when she wore a yellow dress it is and I really the wanted yellow one. dress that's when I wanted to it's gone boots. down in history Oh, like Kate Hudson. Double E knockers were not really squeezing on into that backless dress. Nope, I can't wear backless. Well, you win some, you lose some. You look great in a bikini. That's sure I do. Thank you. Um, So anyway, we're going to move on to this book. So my friend at the time, Susie Goldsborough, whose reviews I always read because they're always recommending books that I would like. Oh, that's the Susie you used to work with that wrote the review. That's the Susie I used to work with. I did not trade her. Went to the Times. Uh, But (laughs) that's that's a joke, obviously. (laughs) Just to clarify. And she did this glowing review of this piece of fiction, who she said started with the best first line in fiction she's read this year, which is um, they love a funeral. They love. They quite enjoy a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Sorry You Feel That Way. It's by Rebecca Waite. It's her fourth novel. She's a young female novelist. Take it away, Cathers, what's this about? So, um, in short about Rebecca Waite, like she has, as Ellie says, published three other books, novels before, but and they've been really like critically acclaimed, but yet to break the mainstream. And we mm. think that this book is gonna change that. And easing her on. It's basically about like it's like a dysfunctional family drama, so very much um in the same vein as At the Table by Claire Powell and Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason, which we are the two books that we spoke about in our Come to the Maldives with us episode. If you haven't listened, go check that out. You can hear all about those books there. Um, but basically, it's just another novel um, in many. That's not to say that it's not good. Is uh, about a middle-class family um, and mental health and essentially looking at the lives of grown-up siblings and why they are the way they are. So it's set on Big Brother Michael and twins, Alice and Hannah, but more specifically about the female twins. And it's kind of negotiating complicated family tensions. Um, And when it does open on said funeral, uh, the family members haven't seen each other in four years. They haven't all been in the same room. So that's kind of the the starting um, point. If you've read Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Hannan. Yes, it's not a million years from that, actually. So so a lot of the, the mother and also the daughter... Um, there's a mother and daughter who are really similar and they speak in this quite formal tone that I can only describe mm, as maybe a bit, bit like, neurotic. A bit Millie Bobby Brown and Stranger Things because she's like learning mm. to talk really for the first time and speaking really formally. And it's that same tone mm. in um, Eleanor Oliphant It's Completely Fine of like if you're an outsider and, you, and you're socially... Inept. And you don't know how to speak to people. Yes, and the mother way. is so like that actually in this book. So the mother is Celia and what I think the book does really interestingly is... Um, Basically, she's depicted as this like narcissist who's the root of why all her three adult kids are so like unhappy and have such odd relationships. Um, the son is kind of in a terrible relationship with a narcissist and the two daughters have struggled themselves in different ways as well. Um, she has what they call, I think it's on the book jacket, like a divide and conquer approach to child rearing. So that all the kids end up with like a really bad relationship to each other. Yet it's still a sympathetic portrait, I think, because her constantly like unsavory behavior is explained by her own trauma from childhood. 
But I thought that, I don't know what you thought, because Susie says that she thinks, she, her one criticism kind of of the book is that the mother is like a bit two-dimensional or a bit like such a bore that it's like difficult to actually spend time with her. But I thought it was quite sympathetic in yeah. that she's awful, but it explains why she's awful. I actually wanted to spend more time with the mother because mm. I found her quite entertaining, but also more, I just found her quite funny. Yes. Like, for instance, this isn't really a spoiler, but she's so socially inept that the way she gets married is she just oh. decides when she's taking her friend's boyfriend to, to go wedding ring shopping for her best friend, and she just decides when they found the perfect ring that, in fact, she should be the one to have it because yeah. actually they're better off together. And she's like, no, you should she marry me instead. And literally steals her best friend's fiancé. That is steal your man. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's not a good look, not going to lie. But it definitely frames her behaviour within, like, childhood trauma, doesn't it? Like, you, you completely understand why she is the way she is from her own upbringing. Yes. And what she's been through as a child without giving too much away. She doesn't understand how um, to integrate with themselves. Yeah, and she's felt, like, deeply unloved, like, from her earliest years and unspecial and all of those things that have then essentially made her be, like, really full-on as well. It's like, she just desperately wants her kids to, like, love her unconditionally because, like, she obviously feels that no one's ever truly loved or liked her. Um, and by doing that, she creates this quite toxic environment for the children because like one of the again without giving too much away one of the stories they give as an example is how when all the kids are literally under the age of 10 like they're tiny and they forget a mother's day because their dad is away on business and he hasn't reminded them and she has like a complete meltdown and screams at them and locks herself in a room and, I like, can imagine myself doing that actually I mean I definitely not gonna lie yeah like if you were a mom and your kids forgot mother's day you would feel like really hurt but I'm sorry when they're like seven years old and she wouldn't like tell them what they've done wrong like they the kids have to like guess to- Put their pocket so money you're together oh, and so buy you're, her on, you're on Celia's <laughs> side, are you? <laughs> I have to say, well, all the characters in the book are actually quite odd. Like they the, are. the son, Michael, and actually, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. He, at one point, by his m- mental girlfriend, is told that he's expecting a child with her emotionally. Yes, when she's basically trying to get him to like take on the burden of like another man's child. But do you think like, I'm so close with you emotionally that it's basically your child? But do you think you could that could actually ever be a thing? Uh, no, unless you're like being manipulated by a narcissist like he is. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, I'm sure like lots of men. Well, I don't know about lots. This is obviously wild speculation, but I'm sure there are men that have been um, convinced by women who are pregnant, but not by them to like step in from early. Um, Obviously, sometimes that can be like a very honourable thing. It's probably more but... like the other. It's probably more the flip side that women feel compelled to basically parent the child of their their new man's, even though yes. it's not their child. It's just quite interesting how people like repeat patterns, isn't it? That's kind of I feel like that generational cycle is like kind of part of the book that like he ends up with a woman kind of like his mother. I know, I find generational trauma really interesting. I always find it fascinating. Yeah, me I'm... too, especially the the type of trauma that's like unspoken. So like one, when I was doing my master's and I did um, a whole like piece on the great American novel and Beloved, you know, Toni Morrison's book about slavery, which is basically about the ghost of slavery and it manifests as a physical person in the book. And I obviously had to do loads of reading around it. And there was this amazing um, writer, she's a doctor, like, you know, superstar academic called Barbara Christian, I think. She's one of the leading, or was one of the leading academics in America. And it's always stuck with me because she talks about, it's all about the ghost of slavery and how that's impacted like modern America. And because they don't acknowledge the past, they can never properly move on from it. Yeah. And she talks about the inherited trauma that comes with slavery and says, basically it takes six generations for trauma to be like purged. So, and obviously it's been less than six generations since slavery, um, like we inherit those things that are unspoken still. 
So yes, it could never it's be always discussed. unspoken yeah. trauma. I remember even um, reading a piece about the Hillsborough tra- tragedy and, and how like three generations are still scarred by right. it because they're, they've lost their parents won't talk about like their losses right but it's so interesting because I was like how can someone who's like completely unconnected to the actual visceral tragedy be feeling so impacted but they are and it kind of makes sense even when you think about it like the way I've always thought as well about inherited trauma in that sense is like it makes sense on a biological level if you think about how much information is inherited anyway like we've all inherited information about and so have like loads of animals and birds and plants whatever about what's dangerous what's not like you know what I mean like even on that level you can see that there is this current of like information that is shared between generations that isn't discussed but is just known but it's also a pattern of behavior right because if you realize that your parents don't want to process or talk about emotional trauma then you're less likely to process new emotional trauma whatever that Mm. might be like it's also a way of coping it's a really dysfunctional coping mechanism Mm. so it's not always tied back to that original trauma it's how you're set up to deal with new stresses really interesting as well that sorry this is just something i read about this week that apparently chemical imbalances in the brain are not real. I and saw that. Well, it, the... it said it's that, yeah, they, it, depression is not caused by a chemical imbalance. Yes. That, yeah. But I just don't believe that. No, I don't believe that either. And they, well, they, what they've said, I think the study is like saying that it's not specifically about um, a, a, a lack of serotonin, which is yeah. obviously what conventional wisdom it's about and he said it's specifically if you're depressed it's to do with stressful events and yes life life events can like trigger these things but i found that but that's situational depression and sometimes people get depressed without life circumstances impacting them you know what i mean in which case how does that work friends who were sectioned um were sectioned after she literally i mean she had a history of really bad mental health but she'd been really great for years and just woke up one day and it was like the rug had been pulled up from beneath her nothing had changed in her like day to day life. So explain that. That's really interesting. There's like a lot of mental health featured in the book. Oh, as yeah, well. we segued naturally. Yeah, we won't give too much away. Um, but there is a big through line of mental illness and how a family deal with that. And I think, like, I think that's amazing. And this might be controversial, guys. And if it is, sorry, literally feel free to DM us and tell me sharp. But as someone that's had like very close experience with mental health, Um, I am sort of at a point now where I'm like, I love that everyone is talking about it, that it's a hot topic, that it's constantly covered in books and films and TV. Being normalised. Yeah, being normalised. Like, that's super important. But on a selfish level, I also feel a bit, like, triggered by it sometimes. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, good good God, can can I just read something without it having, like, all of this, like, really hardcore, like, depressing storyline about, like severe mental health problems and suicide and whatever else you know like I never have been the person to be like trigger warning do you know what I mean that's well, I think that's such a good point particularly because for instance with this book I'd read this review that made it out to be like a, a barrel of love a funny yeah. book about dysfunctional middle class family I hadn't looked into it enough sent it to you and yeah I didn't realize I had triggered you in the process yeah. I thought it'd be like a funny read um, and it is, it is very funny. There are like one-liners in it that are hilarious. Like definitely, it made me actually laugh. Like, a bit a like times. Sorrow and Bliss, if you've read that, yeah. it's like darkly comic. Yeah, whereas I literally could not read Sorrow and Bliss. I found it too depressing, personally. Yeah, maybe this is more lighthearted. But still, you're yeah. right. It's true that you that these books that are kind of being sold as like, take on your holiday, you yeah. know, beach read. It's like actually contain a very dark, traumatizing core. Yeah, and I totally get that it's a very important topic for everyone to be talking about. And I was saying... 
um, to you earlier, I think, that there's a there's an Amazon series um, with, oh, I'm going to have to look it up because I cannot remember what it's called, but it's a sci-fi Amazon series um, about this old couple that find a portal to another world under their shed. It's really interesting. It's really like fun TV. And there's a storyline as part of that about the son committing suicide. And for me, I was like, do you really need that storyline? Like this whole show would work mm. really well without that. And that made it like a very deeply like depressing, uncomfortable watch for me. Why do you think it chose it? Is it because they needed their show to feel meaningful? I don't know. That's what I mean. I don't know whether it's just like current, whether it tugs on the heartstrings. I don't know whether they just feel that now if you're a writer or a producer, a scriptwriter, whatever, you feel that it's like your duty almost to bring mental illness into it because it's so under the surface that. for so long. Do you? Yeah. You think it's just like a ratings game? It's so that you could probably tr trigger a lot more talking points and press mm, and mm. relatability, I But then guess. in that sense, like you say, it feels a bit like disingenuous then. I don't know. God, I don't not know. Not to say, yeah. I mean, that's not at all, by the way, guys, to say that... Um, I'm sorry you feel that way, is like, is um, disingenuous. It's not. It's actually a really interesting depiction it's of true. someone's struggles. Like we've but... said before, we would quite like on our reading list to have some purely escapist fun novels. And actually, yeah. Cathers, I might have just the book for you. <gasps> Do you? And it sounds like I, this sounds like it's staged. But um, Thursday Murder Club. Is that the Richard Osman one? Yes. Yes. So Ista and I have both been loving that. And it's basically as silly and uncomplicated as it gets. It's about a group of like retired old men and women in a retirement home who come together on Thursdays to solve murders. Okay. And when Ista was reading oh, what, it... And the murders themselves are not depressing? No, they're just okay. stupid. No, they're not stupid, but they're funny. They're not... Yeah, it's about these old men and women who who are basically outsmarting detectives. And oh, like every that. time my boyfriend was reading it, he was like identifying me as the most loserish and the most <laughs> ancient in the club. And I was like, are you sure I'm not the other one who's like solving the crimes? He was like, no. no. You're the weirdo that they don't want in the club. Aww, um, so I would love to know, I mean, you as Aunt Kathleen, you would definitely have a place in the retirement yes. home. Well, I've got it on the shelf literally over there oh, behind you? us. Well, yeah, do you remember I bought it to the Maldives and just never read it because okay. it was like one of those hardbacks that was like inconvenient to carry around so in my hand. it's a trilogy. But... The third one's oh, coming it? out in a couple months. Oh, I didn't realise it was a trilogy. So, and I've never seen my boyfriend more into a book. Was he laughing loads? Literally. Laughing so much. He was like, he ripped through it and he said, he said to me, he was like, I feel really embarrassed to love it so much because it was so easy. But there's mm. no shame in that. No, I, mean, it's I love it. flown off the shelf. Everyone's obsessed yeah, with it. Yeah, it's like everywhere that book, isn't it? Everyone loves it. Okay, great. I've been well, recommended it I'm so much. That. Yeah, so I'm going to read the second one on holiday. But you're right. I feel that like I'm going on holiday and I don't really have any interest. No, what the hell to bring? We need to bring back Sophie Kinsella. Do you remember reading her? I did love a bit of Sophie Kinsella. What was her like main character that she wrote like a thousand books about? That like main girl that would like be Confessions the... of a Shopaholic. That's the one, yeah. Made by Isla Fisher in the, in the film. I don't think I've ever seen the film, you know. Oh, I know. Uh, maybe I haven't. I think, no, I think you're right. I've just personally never seen it. But yes, I used to love a bit of Sophie Kinsella and I also used to love a bit of Jackie Collins on holiday as well. I've never read Jackie Have Collins. Have you not? Oh, it's, it's like so bad that it's good. You know what I mean? Um, who's the other woman that we should definitely read? Marianne Keyes. Marianne Keyes, the Irish lady. I like her on Twitter. Yeah, I don't think I've actually read any of her books. I think we should read Also Jodie Picoult. Oh, I did used to like Jodie Picoult. Yeah. Can't for the life of me remember what she wrote, but I remember reading her. Did she write My Sister's Keeper? I she could did. be wrong, but anyway. That's quite sad, isn't it? I think so. Isn't that also... Also about horrific mental illness, yeah. probably. Anyway. Anyway, on to a slightly different book, and in fact, a remake. Please tell me all about Where the Crawdads Sing. We both love the book, but I have not seen the film. You yes. have. So if you haven't read the book, you must read it. It's by Delia Owens. It's amazing. It was kind of in that hit that sweet spot for me of very well-written book, 
but also almost made me feel like I was a child again, mm. reading one of those like magical world books. Yes. Even though it is actually just, it's not magical realism or fantasy or anything it's quite rooted in like the national geography geography of the place like in the south where is it set again so it's set in north carolina in the marshland where delia owens who's a zoologist is based and she actually wrote the book over 10 years sent it out to publishers and agents at the age of 69 didn't think anything of it but it immediately got snapped up and has become this huge hit so she became a first-time author at 70 and um, I think she was quite like perplexed by the whole thing. But yeah, she's just a zoologist and con- conservationist. But she lives in this like magical marshland of North Carolina where, she, and you can, and that's my favorite thing about the writing actually is her passages about like the animals yeah. and the plants. I suggested and... to my dad because you now he's like a bird watching, oh my god, like obsessive on so the cool. board of butterflies yeah. at Wimbledon Common or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, he's super into his like so conservation cute. and nature. So I literally sent it to him at the time because I was like, you are going to love this for all the like descriptions of the different yes. birds and stuff. And yeah. that's what I love so much about it. And that is what is so lost, I do find, in the film. Right. I think what is, and the book is actually quite dark. It's ha- about a girl, Kaya. Kaya. Yeah, she's Kaya or Kyra, I can't remember. Kaya, yeah, who's mm. basically depicted by Delia as this kind of like almost feral like barefooted, dirty little like... She's like an abandoned child who lives alone in like a horrible little hut on the edge of the marshland and is considered to be like a social reject yeah, because pariah. they think they're weird marsh people because they didn't send their kids to school. I think it's set in the 60s, isn't it? So, but they're still living quite um, like a like a traditional lifestyle. Yes. Which, and, and, and in real life, the marsh people were completely ungoverned yeah. by laws in America. Yeah, and those um, like towns ended up being communities of um, like runaways and criminals and stuff like that, didn't they? That's kind of where um, like people that sat outside of society ended up gathering um, and like yes. slaves that had run away in the South and stuff yeah, because yeah. the marshlands, no one else wanted to live there. So they yeah. say it was ungoverned because who the hell wants to put their house in a marsh, basically. Yes, exactly. But um, the marsh essentially is becomes her mother because her whole family abandons her. And it's essentially a love story and a coming-of-age story. And it's beautiful. Um, but in the film adaptation... It's a murder mystery, actually, as well. And it's yeah. a murder mystery, you're right. It starts with... Like, it opens with there's been a murder and everyone assumes that it's her, basically. Yes. Because it's her ex-lover who's been murdered. And that has one of the most unexpected twists I've mm. read in fiction, actually, which I won't mm. spoil. Um, but yeah, so it's this big film which was produced by Reese Witherspoon because um, Reese Witherspoon had it as part of her book club. And um, it's shit. <laughs> Sadly. It's really disappointing that. Yeah, did... so Daisy Edgar Jones is completely miscast. She it was a weird casting. Like, why would you have this like uptight English person for like this <laughs> southern belle? Yeah. Like, this is a weird And her southern accent is terrible. Yeah. I love Daisy Edgar Jones. But also is it really she's bad? meant yeah. to play like again, as I said, this like borderline like feral child who has been brought up by the literal marshland and as my colleague Robbie Collins said in in his Telegraph review or maybe it's a different maybe it's the Times review I can't remember someone says that like she literally like emerges from the marshes like dressed like she's out of like a mini Bowdoin catalogue with her like little like buttoned up like cardigans and looking like so clean why did they do that like that is just surely the most like obvious thing to change when you're making like why the hell would they do that can you have a dirty Daisy Edgar Jones I suppose it would look weird, doesn't it? She but... doesn't suit dirt. No. She's like porcelain and beautiful. I think that's the main issue. Like, and she's, I mean, she's good. She is good. So she's... it's not like bad acting. No, she's a brilliant actress. I just think she's completely miscast for the role and I didn't believe in it. But the main 
thing, the main issue is that the film is just like so disnified. Like she talks um, to like an eagle who come right. and like comes and like tweets to her and well eagles don't tweet, but you get the yeah, gist. Yeah. And like when she has her first kiss with the guy, the leaves suddenly like gather around her and like, like a like Pocahontas stuff. Yeah. yeah, and love Pocahontas, but you don't want to see that in like mm. a non-animated film yeah. with her kissing and this like whirlwind of leaves and the music and it's just so corny it made me cringe. Nevertheless, I did cry about eight times. Did you? But I'm such a wetter. So it's still worth watching then? No, it's not worth watching. Right. Don't take my crying as a, as an approval. That's just weird. But you know I like one of those like... Maybe I was crying because I knew it was bad. Yeah, but I like <laughs> I like one of those like shit but good films. Oh, you, you probably know? would so like you know it. Me. I might like it. But it does sound a little bit tedious. Um, I enjoyed watching because it Who was... Who else is in it? I was free and I watched... Um, nobody's. Right, so she's like the only main... I would be interested to see what Daisy Edgar Jones does next because oh and this is the other issue is that again she plays Kyra as this kind of like hurt ingenue like vulnerable um, victim when in fact in the book she's much more complex and dark than that and I think Daisy Edgar Jones needs to be careful of not playing that character because it's so like Marianne from Normal People. Oh, is it? Where, Interesting. Where like everything's in the hurt eyes. She's like so complicated. Yeah, so complicated and and but like withdrawn so and, and I mean I suppose the character is meant to be like super withdrawn and blah blah but still yeah but she's she comes across as too hurt that's just right. like everything is like how could you do this to me right like she is hurt in the book but it's annoying it's okay, like yeah, I imagine yeah. Kyra is like more, more cunning yeah. yeah um and so I think Daisy Edgar Jones needs to be careful not to keep playing these roles she does actually I really want to see her in this film called Fresh where she plays um a girl who's about to be like dissected by some oh fucked God. up surgeon. Well, of course you want to see that yeah <laughs> oh my God, i know what did you say to me earlier yeah. you're like oh you're gonna really right, enjoy this, this. What was it about it? something about sadism i can't even oh it was i was suggesting an interview for you to listen to about someone with a porn addiction oh, and i was right. like right up your street and don't you're like, read Thanks. anything into that guys yeah. i don't have a porn addiction. <laughs> no no you're like why do you just anything that's like deeply dark you're yeah. like that's got ellie's name all over it yeah um but it's true actually i mean you do like something a bit macabre. I did tell you, didn't I, about my favourite news story. Not my favourite, it's actually deeply traumatising, but my most gory find was about the girl who had melted onto her leather Yeah, sofa. yeah, and I actually can't hear about it. I it's don't know if you spoke about it in an episode, no, but no, surely I think maybe you didn't. I think you just told me, but... Maybe just Google. It's actually it's horrifying, actually and I don't up. want to be reminded of that, so please don't plant that thought really into upsetting. my head. Her yeah. parents didn't notice that she'd melted to the, onto the sofa and died. It's oh, actually very, don't. very sad. Oh, God. But do Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Glad that you have it to that as not your favourite story. But... It's my favourite. It's my most shocking most... story so far. I sometimes think I should have a true crime podcast. But... You would be quite good at that. Anyway, moving on. Mm. Speaking um, of true crime, again, have you seen the controversy around Delia Owens, though? So we need to be careful that we don't have a legal issue here because we don't have a lawyer. Okay, well, allegedly, I mean, it's been covered literally by Vanity Fair, Atlantic, The New Yorker, so we can put the word allegedly, but I think it's, like, very safe to say that what has been reported is... Legit. She is wanted um, for questioning and a murder of a poacher. Yes. So she and her husband um, were conservationists, as Ellie said, in Africa when they were much younger. When they were about 24, they moved out to, I think they were in Botswana first and then they went to Zambia. And they would have this huge conservation effort there that was quite like militarized from the sounds of it. Um, her husband and also her stepson was involved as well. And they would basically, uh, allegedly arm their uh, anti-poaching squad. And there was like, 
slightly questionable practices in that sense. The New Yorker did like a huge piece on it in 2010 because ABC wanted to do a segment on them for a documentary. And so they sent cameras there to go with them on these like anti-poaching raids. And on this ABC film, an alleged poacher is shot and killed by someone off camera, but you don't see who did it. And obviously that's like quite dark that ABC yeah. just like ran the fucking murder of this person in this show to be like, this is about conservationists. So that started to, that was the, the root of where people started to look into it. And obviously with Delia Owens now being hugely famous, it's become a big story again. As you say, she's only wanted in connection with it. And no one's suggesting that she fired the shots, but they, the suggestion is that it was perhaps her stepson or perhaps her husband was heavily, um, as I say, involved in this like militarization of um, the anti-poaching effort, which for the government themselves in Zambia, they're like, what the hell are you doing? Like making yourself like police people. Yeah. And like, they're very interested in the case. I think the government on that, for that principle. Um, But one thing that I thought was very interesting was how, so Goldberg, the writer behind the New Yorker piece, um, actually has said that he told another writer in 2019 that he found it strange and uncomfortable to be reading the story of a Southern loner, a noble naturist, who gets away with what is described as a righteously motivated murder in the remote wild. That is really interesting. Isn't that interesting? She wrote a book to... Mirror, that's the suggestion basically, isn't it? That it's like the storyline there is mirroring... Yeah, or to um, and she says that whole thing how she's like the a mur- like the swamp doesn't care about murder it doesn't mean anything to them it's like the wild like there's just these like subtle notes about why the wild doesn't believe or care about murder and mm. that kind of thing so it's definitely interesting that that's for interesting. sure I mean it's good publicity it's also kind of brave of her if they do literally if they're entangled in this whole like murder thing it's quite brave to like let your book get optioned to be like a Hollywood blockbuster and like put yourself in the spotlight to that extent yeah right I guess that she kind of didn't realise it would get so big yeah. I mean, is Reese with this being... It's all Reese's fault. I mean, but I mean, you wouldn't turn that down, would you, if she came to you being like, can I put your book on my on my books? No, I suppose you wouldn't. <sighs> oh, Delia, what has happened? I know. On to the new Netflix series. Have you watched How to Change Your Mind? No. The Michael Pollan series. Tell um, me about it. So Michael Pollan is like a six times New York bestseller. He's written, he basically writes about like the human connection to the natural world. So he's written before about, um, he did something really big and like impressive and well-known on like the meat industry. He was one of the first writers to actually look into the reality of the meat industry and expose that. Oh, was that that massive documentary about cows? Uh, not Cowspiracy. He wrote, that's what I'm saying. One of his books was like, and he basically followed a cow from like, IVF stages all the way to it being slaughtered to like track the trajectory of the meat industry. That was like one way in which he did that in his book. Um, it's not Caspersi, but as I say, I've his books have been really influential. Anyway, he has a book called How to Change Your Mind, which is about psychedelics. And it's been made into a Netflix series. Um, oh my God, it is so interesting. Um, it's basically, so it's a four part docuseries and it's on the history and the uses of psychedelics, including LSD, psilocybin, MDMA. Um, he basically looks at how they've been demonized and whether they can be used to like heal society. So looking at the medical ways in which the psychedelics can be used. So the idea is that these drugs can actually make you sane rather than crazy. Um, mind altering substances um, can be used to enhance consciousness rather than damage it. Mm. And each episode, as I say, there's four of them and they each look at a different psychedelic. So the first episode is about LSD and it's all about, yeah, like how it's like expanded minds and changed lives and like how... What I thought was super interesting that I didn't know is that the discovery of LSD basically helped kick off like the entire field of neuroscience 
in the 50s and 60s. That is interesting. Yeah, and lots of the biggest advances that have happened in science and tech probably wouldn't have been made without LSD. So one of the things they talk about in the doc is that, I think it's a study, um, they basically say that they did this study with LSD with scientists um, who were stuck on a problem for more than like a certain amount of months, could take part and take LSD to see if they would be able to, during this trial, figure out that roadblock go further with their um, experiment, their hypothesis, whatever. Of 43 scientists that took part, all 43 were able to move forward with this project, with their projects and figure out a way to keep that thing going oh after taking LSD. What, so it so, <clears throat> keeps creativity and like... Yeah, so the idea I think is that it doesn't, it doesn't create creativity out of nothing. Like you have to be a creative person to like have that yeah. experience when you take it. But yes. Um, so anyone with writer's block should so take like, it. Yeah, so like Steve Jobs famously attributed LSD trips as being among the two or three most important things in his entire life. Like there's speculation kind of in, in the like in the documentary that, you know, he, like a lot of the advances that have happened to technology probably wouldn't happen if people weren't thinking laterally in that sense through LSD. And as I say, Steve Jobs, um, he took LSD-laced sugar cubes like 10 to 15 times before 1972 and 1974. And Apple was founded in 1976. Ooh. Yeah. So um, have you seen Nine Perfect Strangers? Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, is that the Nicole Kidman yeah. one? Yeah. Yes, I have. And what are they yeah. microdosing? MDMA? Uh, no, I think it's mushrooms. It's psilocybin, isn't it? Or is it not? Maybe it's LSD. I actually can't remember what it is. I, I thought it was that. MDMA because it was like trying to... Oh, no, so she, they, she gives some of them MDMA. I think she gives them different... different oh, but I think, it's, I think it's mushrooms. I think it is psilocybin. Um, so, so, but MDMA is also given as a drug. Yes. So the third episode is about MDMA and how um, it's basically used to help um, extreme trauma victims. So people with like terrible PTSD. Um, and I think what this show does that's super interesting is it reframes kind of interesting with the name that it's like how to change your mind with the drugs but also it's changing your mind about the drugs in that like they're framed as like these like literally drugs like we're saying this like negative hedonistic party thing when actually there was this like wealth of serious medical scientific study that was being done with all of these drugs before they were made illegal before they were criminalized and actually they can be used um to improve your relationship with your own mind rather than you know the way that we think about those kind of drugs which is um there's loads of studies that are coming out this year. I keep reading about it. it. Why has all this research just suddenly come out? There's basically just been like, um, there's been like a renaissance in people looking at um, psychedelics and how they are used therapeutically. Um, so like, I think Michael Pollan basically even, the first, the way he got interested even in psilocybin, so the, the active ingredient in mushrooms, was because he read a small piece about how... Um, Basically, it was helping terminal cancer patients' fear of death. So oh. he was like, that's weird. Like, why the hell would a mushroom trip make someone that's already got terminal cancer feel less afraid of death? Like, in your head, you imagine it to be the opposite. Do you know what I mean? That you'd yeah. have, like, this terrible trip and blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that was his, like, way in. Um, and why does it make them fear death less? So there's something to do with, like, ego dissolution that these drugs, like, allow. And they allow, like, these new pathways in your brain to temporarily form. And it helps you to, like, process your past. Like, all these different ways that they use. And obviously, it goes without saying that this isn't a scenario where it's, like, carefully controlled in a therapeutic setting. Um, and I would say, in terms of the jump up, actually, for anyone that's interested in this whole world and psychedelics, definitely listen to Michael Pollan on Stephen Bartlett's podcast, Diary of a CEO, because I randomly listened to that episode without even realising the Netflix documentary had come out. It was obviously pegged to that in hindsight. But that was super interesting. And he's, his new book, uh, which is going into paperback, is 
something I think is like our mind on plants and it kind of covers like caffeine and all stuff like that as well but that is really interesting to hear more from him in the Stephen episode and in fact one of my favorite ever episodes of Diary of a CEO is with this guy um Christian Angermeyer I feel like I must have told you about it so he's like Maybe. this leading like biotech billionaire um and he's like the founder of, I think it's like Aperion Investments something like that probably pronounced it wrong sorry guys but it's like biotech fintech crypto deep tech um and his biotech company Atai or Atai, Atai, I think it is. Um, they basically have this like really ambitious goal to help people live like healthier and happier lives through like psychedelics and other drugs. So like yeah, MDMA, psilocybin, and they want to help millions of people who suffer with like depression, anxiety, addiction, um, with these like formerly vilified drugs that actually have this like incredible potential that has been massively squashed. And the thing that the documentary does that's really interesting is it makes it very obvious that the decision to criminalize a lot of the drugs, once they escape from the lab and go into countercultures, it's kind of like a political decision rather than actually about health. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really... What's the drug that Will Smith took? Ashweka. Asuaka. Uh, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Yeah, so that's, that's another, like, mind-altering... That's, again, become quite popular in the in recent times because quite a lot of people will go and do, like, an ayahuasca Did trip. Did you hear about his trip? So Who's? Will Smith. Oh, n- I can't remember. So no. he went on David Letterman at, but, um, just before the whole Slapgate... But David Letterman's episode with him on Netflix didn't go live until after Slapgate. And in the episode, obviously this is recorded before the Oscars, he talks about how he recently had, and how do you say it? Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca trip. And he saw, he went into like a hole where he was trying to save his children and save his career, but he couldn't because he was like like constrained by like um, money and notes. And he like- Yes, yeah, so it's all like- Battling yeah. with the ego. And yeah. he like saw himself lose everything. Yeah, interesting. And it's so weird. Going it's a really I'm great episode with yeah. Letterman. It's like, wow, you literally like saw how you would eventually almost Actually lose everything. Ruin your own career. Like Michael Pollan, so yeah. he's very much like one of those immersive journalists yeah. that anytime he writes about anything, he'll try it. Like he's tried all the um psychedelics because he's like, Well, I'm not gonna write about them if I'm not gonna try it myself. And he when he has um a psilocybin trip, I think it is, he sees himself, writer, basically like disappear in a poof of smoke and post-it notes. Oh my so god, <laughs> it's so on the nose. Yeah. Sometimes when you something is so on the nose, you're kind of like brain, like could you not be a little bit more like, like subtle and yeah. intelligent about this? Like do you have to like your dreams? It's like, oh, no shit. No shit. Yeah. Like, I'm anxious about something. Yeah. And Sometimes my teeth I, are falling out. I wish or, like, it could be more imaginative. Have you ever had the falling out, uh, teeth falling out dream? I can't remember. I know the reason I'm thinking of that is because one of my best friends actually did used to have this stress dream. And I know it started around the time of our levels, I think, where she would basically have this huge piece of chewing gum in her mouth and she couldn't get rid of it. And the more she'd pull on the gum to get it out of her mouth, the more it would grow. But her teeth wouldn't come out in the gum. No, I don't think so. I think it was all to do with this like chewing gum that she couldn't get rid of. And people were being like, you're not allowed gum. And she'd be like trying to get rid of it and couldn't. Mm. Like, it was like oh, just, yeah, an anxiety dream. Um, one of my biggest anxiety Anxieties, which I've often dreamt about, is eating a fish cake that's too hot, and my that, throat. Well, that's up. one of your biggest anxieties in the world is eating a hot fish cake. <laughs> well, after I read this article about how your throat is really sensitive to really hot things, and fish cakes are the biggest culprit mm. because obviously they melt in the middle a lot of them. If you get a uh, cod, yeah, be careful with that. And this man died because he ate a, a hot fish cake. 
burnt the esophagus. Burnt the esophagus and it swells. So obviously you can't breathe. Do you know my aunt actually has this weird illness um, or syndrome? I don't know what exactly you call it, but she's basically got this thing where like her her esophagus like won't let her like swallow things easily. So she has to like chew, take these like tiny bites of food and chew them really sick, or she literally can't get them down the pipe. Stubborn like, there's some weird thing that's happened with it where it's like almost seized up. Maybe so, like, it's scarred. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's scarred. Maybe she's burnt from a hot her fish cake. Yeah. Gosh. Well, oh, that will make you think twice before you have your next cod pasty melt. I know it will. Well, God, imagine having that as like a terrible trip as well. Like, as I said, they are quite um, clear about the fact that anything like this, and also that is the same with ayahuasca, actually. You go and you do it in, it's a, it's like a Native American thing originally, and you're meant to go and do it in the proper, um, proper ceremony that's like guided by a shaman and all that kind of thing. You definitely aren't meant to like do it recreationally. But obviously that's the same with all those, like, Will Smith said it, but he's, I think he's done it three times and he's like, dreads it every time. Yeah, it's, it's not like, like a worst. fun experience. No. Like, it's definitely like, quite long, and but good for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, people say it's like, immensely, like, positive but it's not very nice at the time do you know what I mean like, loads of people most people when they take ayahuasca as well throw out violently which I know would happen to me 100%. which pissed me off I, mean, I would like to do it one day but I am scared that's the thing maybe and do it I would, for a piece yeah but it's it. quite as, as you say and also there is actually this whole like um, narrative around it as well of like the problematic like westernization of it and how like this is like some ancient like religious ritual that like Native Americans have been practicing right, yeah. for like thousands of years and now like annoying hippie westerners are like yeah. jumping in on it and being like hey let's go on an ayahuasca trip to Peru and shit oh like that God, so no, there's definitely like a whole other thing going on there and as I say yeah they're meant to be taken like in a controlled environment not what about acid well that is LSD I think isn't it it's just the same thing. Because I, I mean, I've never done that kind of thing, but I, and I don't think I ever would. Because of all the horror stories you hear about, like coming up from acid, like twenty years later, because it never leaves your system. Yeah, but again, so if you watch the Michael Pollan thing, I think a lot of those like fear mongering stories. I think that's actually really fucking unusual. Like they say, it's like yes, of course, I guess like drugs can trigger psychosis. Like if you were already gonna, if that was gonna happen to you already, but like but twenty like, years later. Also, they've said well, what they've realised though with these drugs is like it's all down to like the environment in which you take it. So if you take it in an environment where you could have a bad trip, you might have a bad trip. Whereas when they do it in these therapeutic sessions, you think, like when you watch it, you'll see like the patients are literally like lying in a cozy bed with like a really nice therapist there to like talk to them about their like biggest traumas and stuff. Like it's a very safe space. So there's not really anything that could go wrong. And apparently when people have bad trips, it's because they've done it in this uncontrolled environment where well, shit goes wrong. that's right. when I did mushrooms for the first time. Oh my God, yeah, okay, we're going to talk about that. We're going to yeah. talk about that. So, when I did mushrooms in Bali, firstly, I'm not going to go into the whole woe is me, I had a shit time in Bali because that makes me sound. <laughs> fucking insufferable I did have a shit time in Bali everything went wrong that could possibly have gone wrong literally everything so I was having a rubbish time but obviously I know it's all relative so by the time on the like penultimate day I was literally like take me out of my own mind please so he inhaled this mushroom slushy or whatever it was already in a terrible mood with this random man yeah bad vibes as well if you're... bad vibes this guy we barely knew it was like 6 p.m so sunset had already happened it was really dark and within an hour i remember vividly rolling around on the floor <laughs> unable to stop laughing it whilst people were having dinner outside but that's, that outside sounds quite fun this not stop laughing part no because i was laughing but nothing was funny I was scared. Right. Everyone's face had become a distorted gargoyle. The man kept trying to take us into a forest to play us the guitar with <laughs> well, his in mates. Well, that actually was happening. Yes, that was happening. Right, okay. And then we escaped and tried to find our way home. Couldn't in the pitch black. The hedges had all become like these horrible, distorted, like 
people with spears trying to kill me and like mm. mutant cats and everything. <laughs> and I remember going home and um, at like 7pm trying to call my boyfriend who was on New York time. And I just remember calling him thinking I was crying because I thought I was crying because I was so scared. And all he was saying to me was like, Ellie, it sounds like you're having a great you're time. Laughing, you can't like start laughing. And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> oh, but I was. God. And then I remember just getting in the shower fully clothed with all my makeup on. We were meant to be going to a party. Um, and all we did was, oh, vomited loads. Mm. Um, cried, cried and cried and cried. I've never been happier to wake up the next day. And the next day I woke up and my, it felt like my face twisted. It was like hurting. Into this like Richter smile. But it was probably one of the worst days of my life. See, I had that one of the time. The first time I ever did shrooms was actually also in Bali um, when I was like traveling on my gap year. Yes, I am that girl. And I definitely had a good experience though. Like obviously I have felt a bit sick and stuff like that from it before when you're drinking those like disgusting shakes where they're literally liquidizing a load of mushrooms with a Fanta. Oh, um, but, but you did it in the daytime, didn't you, with mates? No, we actually did it at night. Oh. But the first time we did it at night, but they, we were laughing at like, in hindsight, it wasn't like what we were laughing about was like the most lame, unfunny jokes, but we thought we were laughing like at specific stuff. And then the second time we did it was in Laos on the like same trip a few months later. And that was with like a bigger group. And that was like, like so jokes like we were all like by the end of the night, like begging the other, the other people like please don't say anything because it's just going to be funny and like all of our ribs and like abs hurt so much oh that sounds really nice but I was quite drunk that time whereas so I think weirdly I had a better experience the second time even though as I'm saying the like technical medical therapeutic world would say absolutely do not mix it with alcohol because I was quite drunk the second time that I took them I wasn't scared out. Yeah, yeah so I didn't really think about it so suddenly we were just like tripping and like finding it really funny and it was great see I was stone cold sober because mm. I'd just come off a turtle safari yes so probably not like you you were overthinking it basically when you started it but how fun were mushrooms the other week at my birthday yes so I arrived at Kathleen's house yes. for her birthday An accidental mushroom party and she greeted me and she was like and I texted you already because no, my friend was like, one. you have to let them know. Like, it's going to no. be really weird to turn up and see all of us, like, tripping like freaks. No, so I turned up and Kathleen greeted me at the door and was like, hi, babe. Um, just so you know, we're being quite weird. And I was like, okay, I mean, you are weird, so that's fine. <laughs> and then you were like, no, I mean, really weird. And then I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? And still kind of thought you were just drunk. But then you told me. Anyway, and I was hesitant, but I did it. And it was... The best. Very bizarre. But it fun, was right? really fun. So they were also, they were shroom like drops. So it's the more pure version basically because it's like psilocybin like as drops which I thought was so much better because what I've done in the past we say it's either gross milkshake or like mushroom chocolate and like that's always made me feel sick and I've never really enjoyed it for that reason that I'm like I feel violently sick I feel like I'm gonna throw up like I'm not having a good time yeah I didn't feel sick at yeah all. and it was great so I went I had this like portal key what's that thing do they call in Harry Potter <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh a port key a port key I found myself a port key it was a sprite bottle yes. and every time I touched it and I was just alone with just me in the kitchen and I would hold on to the nozzle. <laughs> what do you call it? This isn't like yeah. a sex moment. No. I would hold on to the top of the bottle and I would suddenly be like a Hollywood film star. Yeah. And I just remember all these people behind me and I kept being like... Like I adoring kept, you. Yeah, I kept saying to Marlon, my ladies have got me. Yeah. That's what I kept saying. <laughs> yeah, Marl said the next day he was telling me, he was like, yeah, Ellie was standing in the kitchen for about 20 minutes just holding an empty Sprite bottle on her own. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, having a great time. 
did have a great time. I was just being like, I'm sh- I really feel like I'm wearing a helmet. Is that what I kept saying that, yeah, because I felt this weird pressure around the back of my head, <laughs> like from you ear to ear at the that. back. Yeah. So I just kept feeling like my I was wearing a helmet, but I wasn't, obviously. And also, I wasn't like tripping balls. I don't think maybe I didn't do it like enough to be like literally seeing completely things that weren't there. But I was definitely seeing all the shapes and everything move really weirdly. Like, you know, my kitchen table, how it's like, what's that uh, style called? Like, it's like a parquet flooring where it's like different. It's like little, like arrows almost over the table. And the woodwork was literally like sending me west. I was looking at it like, oh my God, it won't stop moving. And it's yeah. just like the table literally looked like 3D, like it was like pulsing Yeah, everything almost. pulses. Yeah, it gives everything new life. But that's what, again, Michael Pollan says. So I think next time we do shrooms, we've got to do it in nature. Because apparently the biggest thing that it gives you is this like connection with nature. Numinance. Like exactly. Numinance, like we Numinous. said in our Maldives chat. And he said when he did them, um, he basically go went into his garden and felt that like the flowers and the plants were like talking to him and that he was in this like... He was like communing with nature, yeah, and he was like part of it. And it, 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 that's the big lesson apparently that a lot that people carry afterwards is that like they realize that they're like part of something bigger, and that like there's this unspoken, unseen, like spiritual strand between everything that exists on Earth, and that we're like all interconnected, and like basically makes people feel like feel the love, which is why as well with the LSD situation, apparently it was quite similar, and that obviously why it's associated with like the hippie movement and all of that was because a lot of people genuinely believed that if they could get as many people to take LSD as possible then shit like the Vietnam War and all the rest of it that was happening at the time Cold War like wouldn't happen because people would be too positive so like literally they did believe that LSD would bring like peace and love to the world because everyone would realize that all that matters is us being like at one with nature if only yeah but I really recommend it it's a great series that was a fun you sold it to me and I'm trying to think as well of like even more ridiculous things that happened that was a really jokes thing to do on a birthday unexpected I did the pub first it wasn't the plan it was an accidental plan which again maybe is why it was more fun because no one was overthinking it it was I'm trying I just remember um me and my boyfriend just every time we passed each other we'd go we'd whisper this is a madhouse (laughs) and then like carry on so plenty to be getting on with there not the drugs I mean the cultural recommendations I have to say I do really recommend the Christian Angermeyer interview. It was just like nothing I've ever heard before. I'm and he had literally never even drunk a sip of alcohol in his life before he got into shrooms. Like he was like, or, and other psychedelics, like he was like then a leading. Yeah, yeah. Like he, cause he actually had grown up gay in Holland. And so he'd never wanted to get drunk as a younger person cause he didn't want to um, like out himself. So right. he had this real thing about like being in control and also being like as healthy as you possibly can. Like a lot of his thing is about like living until you're like 140 and like prolonging human life as much as possible. He's like really interested in like AI and how science is going to be able to do that. As I say, he's got like a biotech company. Like if there's someone, if there's ever like a genius that you can listen to on this stuff, it's him. And he only did shrooms because one of his friends like persuaded him to doing it, being like, come on, man. Like you're going to have the most amazing experience of your whole life. Just do it. And that changed the rest of his life. And he set up this, Etai, Etai, I'm probably saying it wrong, sorry. And now is like literally on this mission to change millions of people's lives with psychedelics. I can't wait. I'm gonna listen to it on the plane tomorrow. Nice. I need to make sure I don't share fun facts with my parents who will be like. But do you know what? This is what I mean. Like, it reframes these drugs. Sorry, that's Arthur Arthur. humping and grunting in a corner. (laughs) That's a dog, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Not Not our producer. (laughs) (laughs) 
Arthur, um, my dog, we're sat. Um, he's, he's like rootling around on a rug behind us, basically. Um, he's clearly telling us that he is ready for the... Got to stop because I've been wearing <laughs> one, essentially, like a monocle for the rest of this record. <laughs> my glasses broke I'm before sorry, we started recording. So, time of picture. I've only just actually taken in yeah. how ridiculous you actually look wearing so, your glasses with one stick. Yeah, so I basically can't see and I've got a headache on my left side. Yeah, All right, finish me off very quickly with a song... An album, some bit of music you've been enjoying. Oh. No, no, uh, I'm not going to make you sing, don't <laughs> worry. No, no, just oh, a last, ooh. a juicy little final ooh, um, song reco. Little song reco from me is, I've been loving the music by Jockstrap. Go and listen to Concrete ooh, yeah. over Travelled Water. Concrete over Water. I don't know, you you introduced me anyway, to Jockstrap. You're talking if about you like London Grammar, if you like James Blake... Maybe it's a bit too much like James Blake, but still, I think they'll grow into their own sound as they take it further. Yeah. But um, really amazing electronic duo. Go listen. Well, I think that's a great place to end. Fantastic place. All right, guys, as ever, we always ask, and you rarely deliver, so please do rate, review, and subscribe. We yes. know it's annoying, but it is literally vital for us. It's so actually quite just, annoying that you don't. Yeah, please, please give us a review. Please. We need them. Yeah. Thanks. We love you. love you. And also, big shout out as ever to Marlon Percy for our music and editing. Thank you, Marlon. Bye. Bye.